Hello and welcome to the D2C Podcast. I'm Eric Dick. Today, we are going out of bounds to chat with Emily Elise Miller, founder and CEO of Off Limits Serial. In a world full of rules, Emily does what's off limits. Unlike what you find in the cereal aisle, Off Limits gives the middle finger to breakfast as you know it with a incredibly clean nutritional profile, as well as a lot of innovative factors when it comes to their brand and their plans for Web3. So this podcast is a deep dive into the power that mascots can bring your brand. We're also going to talk about the emergence of the Web3 opportunity, how not to do NFTs, and how Emily believes companies need to approach the metaverse and the tokenization of everything. We dive deep into DAOs for doing CPG differently, raising funds and expanding product lines. Nothing was off limits in this wide-ranging conversation, and I hope you enjoy it. On with the show. I don't subscribe to that mentality of greed and growth at all costs. And I think a lot of direct-to-consumer brands are goaded into that mentality through like the ones that have come before. And I think that business model, the bubble is bursting. It's already bursted in my mind. Anything that's worked over the past 10 years is not going to work. That's what gives me hope about Web3. I don't need to raise $10 million to give to Facebook to have any kind of visibility for the brand. There's this exciting moment in time where creativity can get you that visibility and build you that audience. And that audience is then your community. There's like a new moment coming in and we get to write what that looks like. Coley's content creation and management platform helps the world's top D2C brands enter new channels, reach more customers, and increase conversions through smarter creative that's authentic, made for you, and meets your needs cost-effectively. Whether you're a brand marketer trying to grow on TikTok with authentic videos or a performance marketer looking to get more images to test in your ads to improve your return on ad spend, Coley has the creators and team to shatter your marketing goals. Visit coley.com slash DTC. That's C-O-H-L-E-Y dot com slash DTC to request a complimentary consultation and get on the fast track to better content. Welcome to the D2C podcast, Emily. Can we please start with the why of Off Limits Serial? Why did you create this brand? I started Off Limits to be defiant, to do something different than what currently exists in the cereal aisle and really rewrite what the cereal aisle looks like for new generations. What's wrong with the cereal aisle now? I don't know if there's anything wrong with it. It's just, it's dated. It's kind of boring. Like as fun as all of the cereal mascots are that we grew up with, like they kind of haven't been doing anything. Like there's no more toys. There's no stories about them. They're not inclusive. They're just, it just feels like <laughs> everyone's been coasting in the cereal market for a long time and missing this like vibrant opportunity to reclaim cereal culture and just rethink the way it can exist like culture has shifted so much over the past like year even and these people are just like chilling for decades with like the same products and characters and like it's stale it's a stale category yeah, <laughs> uh, and as you say they've sort of been these these companies have kind of been resting on their laurels I, I grew up with the food pyramid which sort of told us how many carbs you're supposed to be eating and 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 where you're supposed to have meat you know in, in that sort of uh, pyramid and and i found out years later the food pyramid was actually made not 
not by, you know, medical professionals. It was actually made by the industries that it went on to promote. So are there issues with the actual like overall health of cereal as well? Well, cereal is not part of a balanced breakfast and it never has been. It was complete marketing and we're still stuck in the mentality that cereal is for breakfast. And for that reason, people are avoiding it because of sugar, because of, you know, other types of ingredients that exist. But with off limits, like we're giving everyone permission to eat cereal again at any time of day, whenever they want. It really should be treated as a snack food. I mean, people eat cereal in their kitchen, like after a meal. It's always been kind of a breakfast for dinner or a snack in some way, yet it's still in the general consciousness of everybody that it's a breakfast food. And I just am excited to help hopefully smash that mentality a little bit. How is Off Limits different technically from a nutritional standpoint than a lot of the cereals you'll find in the aisle? Off Limits has one of the cleanest ingredient panels on the market, like no doubt. It's all vegan, gluten-free, kosher. My background is in the food industry and I could never put out a product that I feel like was not using like very thoughtfully sourced ingredients. Like even in our coffee flavor, we use Intelligentsia coffee and have a really exciting new coffee partner coming up as well. So it's all about quality. And for that reason, you know, the cereal is a little bit more expensive. Like you can't expect to go into a cereal aisle, which is absolutely run by some of the biggest brands on the planet, constantly just like fighting against each other to make cereal lower and lower prices. Like you're not actually eating food at a certain point. So there's been a reckoning in a lot of other categories. You know, take like the condiments industry for a second, like what Sir Kensington's did to Heinz for like ketchup and for condiments. Like there is a more thoughtful way to create products and there's still room for Lucky Charms. There's still room for Heinz. Like there's room for all of it. You just have to give people the conscious decision. It shouldn't be the only thing that exists. Can you, I'm actually unfamiliar with that. And I, like, I'm a long time ketchup disciple. Uh, what, what is Kensington's? This is a, this is a, a better for you alternative in the condiment space. Yeah. Sir Kensington's has seen a lot of success in the condiment space. They launched, um, a while ago now actually, and really branded themselves as scooping ketchup and infiltrated all of the cool restaurants. They were taking, I, I think they, I'm not sure how it worked behind the scenes, but in my head, they gave these restaurants free ketchup and condiments to replace the ones that they currently had so that people would be able to try it and be like, oh, you can taste the quality in this. It has really thoughtful ingredients. You can read everything on the label. Maybe it's a few dollars more, but Look, everybody has different budgets when it comes to food. And like I said, there's there's absolutely a place for Lucky Charms and there's a place for like the more thoughtful ingredient panel products. But what I'm excited about for cereal is that it doesn't currently exist right now. It's either Lucky Charms or Kashi. And those are opposing like, thoughts. Like, why can't we have Lucky Charms and Off Limits? And you can choose if you want like, just kind of a cheaper, kind of fun, nostalgic product or off limits, which gives you the same kind of fun vibe, culture, everything. We support school art programs, like thoughtful, but you know, maybe you're being a little bit more conscious because you're spending more money on this product. So we just want to give people another choice. 
Yeah, I think I think that's what it comes down. To. There's so many choices that have been built into our lives as defaults, whether it's the ketchup in the fridge or the the cereal on the shelf. Like, I, you know, it blew my mind a long time ago when I, I met a, I met a guy um, from Manila, and he told me that there was such a thing as banana ketchup, and, and it was exactly the same as tomato ketchup. And I'm like, what? What do you mean? He brought it in one day, and we t- tasted it. You could tell almost no difference from it because you, you realize that ketchup is mostly just sugar and vinegar and preservatives and it actually doesn't taste like tomatoes like you think it does because of all these these additives. So it's just I I totally agree that just having these other alternatives there are just going to either wake people up or just make people kind of more aware of of the choices that they're making rather than having them always make them as defaults. Do you agree? I completely agree. And I think people lost their affinity for cereal to a certain extent because we keep getting these articles that come out that has crazy ingredients and like the food and especially the cereal that we're eating. And we just realized we've been lied to this whole time. So now there's just this like distrust and these bigger brands are purely running off of nostalgia as fuel. And that is going to end quickly because I feel like we're really the last generation that has any kind of emotional connection to these mascots and characters and things like that. So I'm very ready to create a new band of mascots and flavors and yeah just like something else something new let's talk about your characters and how they you know when we we did the pre-interview we talked about uh, your biggest lever for growth in the past 12 months and you pointed to these characters that you've created to to match up with each flavor of your cereal um can you talk a little bit about this process Yeah, I mean, I went to art school. So um, the characters came first and were honestly built out of the different emotional states that I was feeling at the time. I was going through a lot of changes in my life. I was feeling a bit depressed, like trying to like battle through some of these like highs and lows in just trying to hustle and felt that a lot of other creative people were seeing similar challenges in their emotional cycles. So to help cope with that, I built this band of mascots that I felt really tackled these extreme feelings and thought that other people would be able to connect and relate to those as well and wanted flavors that could embody those feelings. So if um, you're feeling like Dash, our female, the first female cereal mascot ever, which is amazing. That is crazy. Um, it's so I, I crazy. I just thought of that. That is it's nuts. So, it's all dudes. So crazy. Yes. Or, you know, like a lot of these bigger companies are not talking about gender and shying away from any kind of potentially charged conversations, which is, again, like an old guard mentality. And we've gotten in a lot of trouble on, not trouble, but like, people on the wrong side of TikTok, like just people who are not so open-minded, really upset with us that we even assign any kind of gender or talk about gender with our characters. So being a brand, it's hard because we don't want to alienate anybody. But at the same time, like these are important things to talk about and help further that relatability um, and connection with the people who I think it really matters. That's super interesting. I can't believe there's no female cereal mascots. I was trying to remember back. I'm like, doesn't Count Chocula have a like a strawberry counterpart that's female? But no, that's Frankenberry, another dude. Exactly. Um, so NPR did this huge piece on it. I think they were even shocked. Like they were like, come on, you guys are using this as like a marketing thing. But like, no, it doesn't exist. So uh, very, very proud about that. 
I wanted to ask about your characters. Like I've been a draw, you know, in, into art for, for a long time and I've always had like characters that I've drawn, like, and they're characters that I, that I drew from before when I was young, I learned how to draw and they kind of evolved into these characters. Did you care? Are these characters that have kind of been following you around for years or did you create them fresh for the brand? So their mentality was carried around with me. And then I think where we really brought them to life was through this like absolutely epic kind of collaborative process and again, like these are all connections from my past. Like it's not like I walked into these rooms with like a ton of funding ready to go, but we worked with um, Shepard Ferry and his team, Studio Number One, on designing the serial mascots. And I mean, I walked into the room with like what the characters might be wearing, like what, like everything about them, like built out complete character studies. And we really worked on this together. And then the team at Pentagram did the packaging design and branding because one of the partners designed my cookbook about breakfast. And we got really close through that process. I told her about the cereal company I was starting and she was like, I have to do this. So it was this like, super traditional, absolutely iconic design house mixed with like the very kind of rebellious political style of, of Shepard and Shepard's um, agency. And it was just like this really cool way to collaborate. And I mean, that's exactly why we have the brand that we do. How else are you using these characters? How are these characters actively helping you grow the business? So the characters we treat as team members. So they do our customer service. They do, um, they respond to people on Instagram sometimes. It's kind of just however we feel. I mean, I built the characters somewhat as a mask <laughs> in a way, like to help kind of express things that are maybe harder to talk about as a human. But like, if it's a character, it's this whole other kind of situation. So we really put them forward whenever we can and honestly talk about them like they're members of the team. We're like, oh, this is so Dash. Or like, check out this tweet that Dash, or like this response that Dash just said, or people will be DMing the characters at this point too. So I'm just on the website and there's, it's just, there's just so much going on. It's got such a cool style to it. And these characters really do come through. Can you talk a little bit about how it's all come together on the website to create a really interesting customer experience? Yeah. So in a similar <laughs> wild collaborative process, um, we worked with Sam Faulkner and Kevin Green on the website design and development and just kind of was like, here's 300 ideas. We need Easter eggs. We need animated content. We need like a direct to consumer experience that people can fall down the rabbit hole as far as they want to go. And they delivered on that and then some. So it's just layers upon layers of, of ridiculousness, but like really meant to give you a glimpse at like maybe what the cartoon dimension could look like and like setting up a chat roulette with like the characters and just like not taking everything so seriously is, I mean, the brand is called Off Limits. Like we have to really be defiant in every way that we can. And the website definitely embodies that. It's gamified. There's There appears to be some hidden uh, Easter eggs on the site. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So, um, I mean, we're doing some fun updates. I mean, I've been very involved in the Web3 space just personally and really thinking about how to create a thoughtful brand presence in that space. So we've been doing free NFT serial toys. We launched the first ever NFT serial toy at Art Basel and like plan to do a lot more with that. So 
we have this kind of star system on the site currently where you can like find all the stars and like get a discount. We might turn that into like an NFT thing or what's great is that the site is ever evolving. And for off limits to claim that like we're rethinking serial culture, it means we constantly have We constantly have to keep evolving to whatever is culturally relevant at the time, which is something that I absolutely love doing. So it just happens very organically. And you're all you're you're updating these tropes, right? So like the mascot, the cereal mascot, with something more meaningful. The and then it goes to the thing like the prize in the cereal, which is something that we all have nostalgia for. And you're actually kind of building this concept of NFTs into this sort of placeholder as well. Uh, can you talk a little bit? Like, tell me more about the NFT. Like, what what is what is the NFT that you can get when you when you purchase off limits? Yeah, so if you use code NFT at checkout, um, I mean, at this point, it's really manual because that honestly, the tech, it's not built yet. But like, I have some friends working on stuff. So we're really getting first in on the tech that is helping to automate these things. But currently, like if you use the code, you'll get an email from one of the characters, we'll ask for your wallet address. And then I am like me personally transferring from our OpenSea account to like everyone's wallet and like explaining to them, like answering, fielding any questions about um, NFTs, like the whole process and just trying to help um, get more people involved in the space. Cause I very much believe in, in web three and the functionality of NFTs. I think anyone can just do a brand NFT and like call it a day, but we're really building in layers of, of functionality and community. What, how do you see NFTs in, t- in the future of CPG? I, I, it's, you're obviously pioneering now. I love that concept. I think so many people don't, like very few people understand what a wallet is at this point and the, the security that's required. Uh, it's still a, probably a, a minority of people who are comfortable with that kind of thing. So it's, so it's interesting that you're doing everything kind of manually to start. But how do you see, how do you think the future of Web3 and NFTs in the CPG space might look? I mean, we're building it now. There's like really only a few brands that I think are personally invested in building functionality into them. Like we're about to launch um, our first like real NFT, like a big mint where it's going to be a collaborative design process to build a physical box. And then any of the NFT holders will then get this like limited edition box. And it was inspired by the fact that um, we've already done artist boxes and they do super well for us. And people really love this idea of limited edition items and collaborating with artists. So we wanted a way for people to work with us and create this like decentralized, like collaboration type thing and see what we can build. Like my excitement right now is that this is the wild west. Like I'm in so many different web three groups and it is amazing to watch people like extremely smart people just try and figure all this out and like see where things are going to land so the direction of nfts is not it's not going in one way it really is like whatever we want to shape it as like i love the gamification of things so i imagine our nft holders like we could airdrop serial toys that maybe then will equate to like a physical toy. We can have um, different NFT kind of coupons that like if you choose to burn it could create like different levels of discounts. Or if you like try and sell it on secondary it markets, it's there's just fun. It's fun to build in like gamification and community building and play. But the most exciting thing I think is 
beyond NFTs and like really focused on DAO structures for consumer brands, where if you're an early adopter of off limits, the more cereal that you buy, the more tokens you get. And you're then equally invested as making the in making the brand successful and equally successful as the brand grows. And that takes the power out of like so many archaic systems that I'm excited to like kind of mess around with a little bit. I think that's the real crux of the matter there as far as, you know, in my research in, into Web3 so far is, you know, you it, like Web2 to Web3, you go from this like passive vessel where, you know, you have, uh, you know, your data is sort of stripped from you and you're sort of this like passive node in a system that's sort of trying to monetize you. Whereas in Web3, you become more of this like active node in on the blockchain, essentially, where, you know, this idea that if you, you know, you buy enough of the series, you're actually investing into the brand and into the brand's growth, where you actually, you have some skin in the game in Web3. Uh, is, is that a correct way to see it, would you say? Yeah, I, I mean, that's exactly right. And I think as as a good example of what's happening now, I'm the founding member of um, GM, GM Supply Co. DAO, which is a new DAO that is launching. We just got into the Seed Club Accelerator and it's with these like amazing guys. We all met on Twitter. We're building this incredible kind of powerhouse Web3 slash marketing slash CPG team. And the goal of this DAO is to start competing with some of these bigger CPG corporate conglomerates and say, hey, like you guys are like not feeding us thoughtful food, constantly raising the prices. And we see none of the benefit of like continuously being loyal to these products. So by saying we're going to tokenize these products and then people can invest in like the cereal part of the DAO, so like any cereal related products we make, you can invest in that and then actively be part of the success. So um, the tokenomics are really interesting. Everybody is figuring it out right now. And I'm just excited to be a part of these projects that are going to shake things up, whether it's long term or not, no one knows. <laughs> it's going to be, I think, you know, Web3, it's it's the next number. So it's got to be a thing, right? But uh, but it's coming. Back up a little bit and tell our audience what exactly a DAO is. I think a lot of people in the audience know, but just just tell us. Yeah, so um, a DAO is basically a structure, like a, a new type of business structure that really helps communities benefit off of the product that you're creating. Like, so there was one that I was a part of early and it was called Constitution DAO. And it basically said, we're making a DAO to um, try and buy the Consti- a, a copy of the Constitution because the Constitution went up uh, for auction. I heard about it. I was like, what is this? Like, this is so cool that a community of people can come together and essentially say, hey, I want to be part of this, put some money to exchange for the token of that DAO and community. And then the leaders of that DAO kind of are responsible for dealing with like the logistics and like buying the constitution, all of that kind of stuff. So what's interesting though, is that everything is community based. So the leaders of the DAO can be voted in if somebody is like super active, however many coins you have, like there's all these different structures and, um, ways of thinking about it that people are trying to figure out now and what works. So it's just cool to see what people are working on for this. Like, I think if NFTs were 
2021 and like now, I mean, NFTs aren't going anywhere, but just as far as like Web3 bigger trends, I think DAOs are going to be what is happening. We're going to see a lot more DAOs popping up this year because it's basically like a Kickstarter in a way that is so community funded and decentralized. And do you also do you build like sort of center like like because I, I the idea with sort of centralized power structures is you know the, the they make the rules the rules can maybe change all the time based on what it, the needs of the of of the, you know the company but with DAOs is sort of this one of the ideas that you sort of like you almost set a constitution for a group of people and say like here are the bounds that we're kind of working within and then the, and then you don't have to constantly refer to the, the the head or the CEO of of that group it's sort of just more built in to the fabric of the structure of the group? Exactly. So you build in the voting structure. And this is something I'm dealing with now with um, GMGN. We would be asking our community, like, what product we want to do next? What flavor cereal everybody wants? Like, we did a Twitter room the other day and we were like, what is the flavor of Web3? Like, how do we make a cereal that tastes like Web3 stuff? And people were, like, sending in responses and it just becomes this very community-driven thing. And What's amazing too is that everything is on blockchain. So there's no corporate secrets and like exchanges of money and tokens that isn't visible for everyone to see. So it just makes it a lot more democratic. And look, like this is an entirely new structure of doing things. So there's inevitably going to be growing pains and cracks and all of that. But it's just so exciting to be a part of this stuff early on. And I'm not so much on the tokenomic structure side as I am on the art and utility side. So that's what I'm really excited about. It's time to let your customers enjoy the products they love without the friction of reordering. That's why the world's most innovative brands like Pete's Coffee and Il Maquillage rely on order group subscriptions to build long lasting customer relationships and deliver recurring revenue. OrderGroove integrates with all e-commerce platforms, making the experience easy to manage and seamless for shoppers. From enrollment incentives to churn-fighting AI, OrderGroove gives your business the tools it needs to be the next big subscription success story. Visit OrderGroove.com DTC to receive two months off your first contract. And also there's just this, if you're into this community, you just have like a free pass into people's consciousness in a way. Like if you're like, what I'm interested in is like, how are, how is the NFT landscape, the Web3 landscape, how does it lend itself to the actual like distribution of products and the, the you know, getting the word out, 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 out about a given product? So... I mean, two examples are, are kind of what I was talking about, like the, the off-limits NFT project that we're dropping that's going to be a collaborative cereal box is basically, um, it's not technically a DAO, but like in a way it runs like it because if you mint the NFT of our cereal box, and this is the first time I'm talking about this, by the way, <laughs> if you mint the NFT of the cereal box, it gives you access to our gated discord channel where we're going to be like, okay, cool. Like what NFTs do you own that you have the rights to let's all vote on like the coolest NFTs that the community has. And then we're going to put those on a cereal box, print it and ship it to you. So you now have this physical NFT that's representative of the community. And then you have the physical box that you can eat, trade, like gift, like whatever you want to do with it. So I am most excited about the NFT utility and the IRL 
kind of web three mix of things. And it's the same thing for the GNGN supply DAO. So off limits is doing the first product, which is cereal. And for us, like it's really hard and expensive to press go on a product unless we know there's an audience for it. So we would be selling the tokens. And when we get to a certain place with the tokens, we can like press go on the cereal and then it gets distributed to all the token holders. Um, so it's, it's kind of like a pre-sale situation in a way too. I think a lot of NFTs are working like that from a product standpoint. And it's a, like a frictionless push, you know, when, when you, once you have that connection with people in some ways, right? Yeah. So, I mean, then we're all kind of connected. It just, it feels really community based and I love the things that are happening. Like it's cool to me from the art side of things because never in history has there been more of a time where creative people are empowered and like treated equally as somebody in tech or in finance because in a web three world you need to have art you need to have money and you need to have the tech kind of backing it so seeing these communities and projects form off of those things has been very cool to watch that's one of the neatest things about Web3 and NFT for me is its ability to prioritize design and, and art in this interesting way. Like there's, there, there isn't a great model for monetizing content, uh, you know, in, in the world right now. There's piracy, there's, uh, you know, there's cable, there, you know, all, all these different things, these sort of centralized um, systems, whereas NFTs are even though we're in the early phase with board apes and things like that, they're just finding ways to value art in a way that hasn't been, been done before. It's creating culture and, and brand equity. I mean, you look at board apes and people can be like, why are people spending so much on JPEGs? But like the community is really strong and you own the rights to the ape that you have. So you could be starting products. You could be doing different things to activate that already loyal community and you're buying into this. So it, it's tough because you never know what is going to work or how long, and you're really investing in the team behind these projects. And I mean, I'm not coming from a place where like I can invest a ton of money in all of this. Like I've been spending any extra money that I have at the end of the month on like the lower stakes NFTs. If I can get in on mint just to see if like one of them works. Cause I, I want to teach myself. So I'm treating it as, kind of like an education fund instead of an investment fund. Um, I am don't have a great track record because I get emotionally attached to the NFTs that I have and I won't sell them. So it kind of defeats the purpose a little bit. But I'm, I'm just excited about the teams and the art. So what do you think that uh, brands out there in the space, like what do you think they have wrong about Web3 and NFTs? How are people not, you know, not thinking about the space correctly? I think it's just really early and it seems like, you know, a hype kind of thing if you're from the outside of it, but to even remotely understand the importance of even cryptocurrency and like the way that the world is moving and just that a lot of these archaic structures from corporate scenarios to like government scenarios are really crumbling under any kind of pressure. It it just kind of shows that like things are moving in a new direction and they need to be a little bit more um, inclusive. So I think brands should know that it's very early. And if you're not planning to do a crypto native project and like really invest in understanding what you're doing and why it's going to benefit web three, 
sure, there's like some fun, playful things you can do to check a box, but I wouldn't say it really gets you any kind of street cred because really the only people who care about this stuff are the crypto native people. So, I mean, and I learned this like doing our pop up for Art Basel, but like even people who are really tech savvy don't have a wallet or like know some of the intricacies of like NFT projects in a way that you would necessarily expect them to. So we're still super, super early. And I don't think brands should feel pressure to do anything just because it feels trendy right now. And if they're going to do it, I, I imagine they, they need to immerse themselves in a, in a way that, that you have in order to understand this space. And I think you, you spoke to it earlier, like there's so much about the crypto space that is not gated, but it's like, it's so important, like who you know in the crypto space and who's behind your project and who, like, I, I think there's there's a lot of, there's a huge, huge community aspect with, with what's happening right now. Um, and so if you try to come into it kind of from the outside and, and just do what you think, you know, is the bare minimum, like it's not going to work in the way you want it to because you kind of have to like have this groundswell in the community in order to, to make it work. Is, is that something you're seeing? Yeah, I mean, it definitely, I, I've been... I'm still like new to the space. Like I started really diving in about a year ago and it took a long time to start finding the communities that I can really relate to. And even when I found those communities, I was nervous to speak out and like ask questions because I felt like everyone was just so vastly more knowledgeable than I was. And the more confidence I got to have conversations and learn and everything, I, it really, made me feel that everybody is just trying to figure this out. And sure, some people have been in this space like their entire career or in some kind of capacity, but they're all excited to bring in, you know, the artists, the like brands who are thinking about this in different ways. And everyone just kind of wants to build a different future. And that's the common thread that everyone in the Web3 space has. So if you're a if you're a really corporate brand and like not really practicing that in any other way other than like a checkmark NFT project, I think that's when people are like, eh, we get it. But even Nike, like Nike's building a metaverse. They're buying um, like smaller kind of brands that are creating 3D, 5D like assets and investing in the space a lot too. So do you have any plans for the metaverse? Like I know it's, again, it's very early days, but I can envision like, you know, either on Zuck's metaverse or some metaverse, like a, a breakfast club where you can like go in and sort of interact with these characters in this interesting way. H have you thought about like way out into the future, what uh, an off limits metaverse presence might look like? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of happening in a lot of ways. I, I mean, if you go into Decentraland, like there's a bunch of people who are hanging out and at a concert, like you can easily have a restaurant setting or a cereal bar setting or anything like that. So I'm interested in how people can engage with the brand. Like if you are going into a cereal bar in a metaverse platform and like order a bowl of cereal, does that get delivered to you in real life, like through GoPuff or like something like that? Like when are the layers of tech going to happen that allow the IRL integration to all of this? And I mean, I love what's happening with a lot of metaverse platforms, but I'm a bit more of a layered augmented reality believer. Like I don't necessarily think everyone's just going to be like putting on VR goggles and like spacing out for the entire day. I hope not. I think, <laughs> yeah, I think it'll be, um, it'll be a little bit more layered, a little bit more like enhancing your real life 
to start and seeing how that works. And we're starting to see that with NFTs. I think NFTs are the first example of, of what that could look like. Like how do you buy a digital asset and then have it give you something physical in real life, whether that's access to backstage at a concert or a food product or a forever discount somewhere. There's a lot of different applications for it. So what is actually, you know, we mentioned, we talked in the pre-interview a little bit about ads and how ads are not a big driving, you know, growth factor for off-limits. What, what's actually, where are people discovering your brand and, and what's, what's really driving the growth? It's all organic. I think, I mean, we definitely do some minimal digital marketing, but man, like we launched in 2020. It's been so challenging. It's when we are a new brand, we're trying to get visibility and every other brand on the planet, whether they have or not, is now going D to C and pumping their entire marketing budget into ads. Like we can't compete with that. And I got, you know, it was um, ridiculously difficult, but like I got us venture funding and it was still, we're priced out. So <laughs> when funded brands are starting out and priced out of the expected marketing tactics and like, where do you go from there? Like you have to just become creative about it. So I kept everything really low key and organic. We focused on building emotional connection and like working on collaborations. Like we basically were such a new brand and I mean, in a way had no right to be working with some of the people that we did, but I think the creative vision behind what we're doing and the intention behind what we're doing is what got us some of the early collabs that we had. Like, um, we did a custom ice cream flavor with salt and straw and that's coming out again in April for their like cereal month. So that's going to be amazing. And we worked with Greg Mike and Sophia Chang, who are absolutely insane artists and did custom collaborated boxes. We do all of our kind of cereal toy and like limited edition drops on the um, culture app network. And I've just spent a lot of time to make sure that we are who we say we are, essentially. And then to it's really interesting, even just from the very beginning, working with Shepherd Fairy's agency, like you seem to have a really strong ability to draw people to you and get them excited about what you're excited about. Would you say that's at the central, uh, you know, superpower that you have? Yes, because <laughs> I, I love doing that. I feel like I have a really... When I have a clear vision for something, I'm like, I'm, I'm going for it. Like I'm running, it's happening. Anyone who wants to be along for the ride is welcome to join. If it's not someone's vibe, that's cool. I'll find other people who are, who are excited about what we're working on. So that's kind of the way that I operate. I feel like I let a lot of things wash over me and I've learned being in creative industries my whole career that you meet people and sometimes it's not the right time and you can't really force things. So I think what we're really good at doing is just letting things sit until it actually is the right time and it'll circle back. And we're already seeing that with so many projects we have coming up. Like we've been talking to some people for like six months and they're just starting to kind of come together. Can you describe your process? Uh, uh, basically getting VC funding for off limits. Was that, was it a, was it an epic, uh, an epic sprint? It's, Definitely difficult. I mean, I walked into these, I didn't have any connection to venture before I started this. Like, um, it was really, really difficult and it continues to be difficult. I think I didn't want to believe the bias in the industry, but it's absolutely there to see other 
brands in the same category just get overly, overly funded. And then to walk in with names like Shepherd Fairy and Pentagram and like the website completely set up and like the entire culture of the brand built out and have anyone even kind of question the direction of it was was tough. Like I met with hundreds of investors at the beginning and maybe like five of them ended up coming in. Like it was extremely difficult and doing all of this while I'm trying to launch one of the most like supply chain intensive products during like during 2020. So, um, it's been a hustle for sure. And raising money is not easy, especially for a consumer brand and especially for a consumer brand that is trying to do anything different and hasn't been able to prove that out yet. Like walking into venture meetings and be like, oh yeah, well, cereal is our first product. Like we're really going for like putting the characters forward because I'm building out like the characters' personalities. And we have this like animated content we're working on. Like maybe that's an animated series down the line. Maybe like the toys become really popular and we become more of like that side of the brand. So I think about everything through the lens of of fashion and culture a lot because I went to school for fashion design. So to me there's not enough consumer brands that are thinking the way that fashion brands do. It's super interesting. And yeah, because, and you're, and you're in this space that has been defined for better or for worse by these types of characters, Count Chocula and Frankenberry and all these types of people. So, so coming in and actually like making these characters meaningful in a different way is, is a fairly disruptive action, but it's not something that like, it, I can, I can imagine sitting across from a VC trying to explain it. And unless it was a VC who was super excited about web three and the other potentials that you're building into, I could see you probably receiving a you know more than a few skeptical looks I think like the best advice I have is just to keep at it because if people keep saying no it just means you haven't found your people yet it shouldn't reflect your idea or your brand or your concept like you're tapped into that and it's not your responsibility to like make them understand what you're doing so because now all of the people in the brand are culture drivers and are fully aligned with the vision that we take. Love it. Very cool. So here, here's a question. As I, If we were to give you a $50,000 grant to grow off limits, uh, where would you put that uh, into your marketing budget in the, next, uh, in the next year? So what I'm really passionate about is disintegrating the starving artist trope. And I think it could be really what we're trying to do is empower creative people. So that's through Web3, through like our artist boxes, through supporting school art programs, through like a lot of the things that that we're doing. So um, we're working on something that is kind of like, okay, well, if you're an artist, if you're an artist, we're going to send you free cereal so that you can like help dissolve the starving like you can at least not be starving I like (laughs) at least not the starving part and just like focus on your hustle a little bit because I think creative industries are extremely difficult and it requires methodic practice like anything else so I'm excited to keep going down that path so any kind of grant I think would go towards us like really creating a brand that is empowering creative communities and teaching everybody that it's an entrepreneurial effort as well. Love it. You mentioned supply chain, and this is something we don't talk a ton about on the podcast. Um, but why is Off Limits such a challenging um, product in terms of the supply chain? 
cereal hasn't really been disrupted in a long time, which means there's not a lot of demand from uh, co-packers to have the equipment to make cereal. It's very specific equipment. It's very expensive. You need to know that you have the, um, the clients for it in order to invest in that. And any of the co-packers who do, you know, do it for the much, much larger brands, which means like the minimums to start are just, are a non-starter for most, for most companies. So that's why I knew I needed to raise money because even finding a co-packer who could do like a quote, like small run, um, would still be capital intensive enough to require that from day one. And being in the food world too, for a lot of my career, like writing a cookbook about breakfast, like I could probably make a lot of things and test a lot of things at home, but cereal is not one of them. So I knew what flavors I wanted and generally how it was made, but every little thing has to be tested at scale. And that's what makes it very difficult. And you're constantly competing against like the bigger brands. So it's, it's rough. I wanted to just ask also, yeah, this is a, a big question, but like what, what are the ways that, that Web3 cryptocurrency in general, decentralization, what, what are the, the ways that these things give you hope for the future of humanity? For the same reason that I'm starting off limits to challenge everything that has existed before it, because I don't subscribe to that mentality of just complete greed and growth at all costs. And I think even a lot of direct to consumer brands are in that mentality or goaded into that mentality through like the ones that have come before. And I think the industry and that business model, the bubble is bursting. It's already bursted in my mind where, you know, digital marketing has to change. Anything that's worked over the past 10 years is not going to work again. And that's what gives me hope about web three is that I don't need to raise $10 million to give to Facebook to have any kind of visibility for the brand. There's like this exciting moment in time where creativity can kind of get you that visibility and build you that audience. And that audience is then loyal. They're your community. Like you're all on the same path of like wanting to make the brand successful or wanting to make the product successful. And that could evolve over time, but it's just cool. Like there's like a new moment coming in and we get to write what that looks like. So I, I hope a lot of other um, creative people and people who really want to build things differently, get involved in the web three space so that it's not overrun by like similar, similar issues that currently exist. Yeah. What other brands are you watching out there? What other D2C brands, whether in the, in the web three space or not, what are some D2C brands that you're following closely? So, I mean, shout out to like <laughs> my friends, I guess, too. Um, I love Fly by Jing. And I think what Jing has created, she just, she works so incredibly hard. And to see the brand thrive in a way that it has just over the past even 18 months to watch like the scale happen um, is, is epic. Like, that's what I love to see just by being smart and creative and like not sacrificing flavor or authenticity or anything. Um, I really love Belgian boys too, just as a business. I think Anouk, the founder, is absolutely brilliant and scaling products in a way that is really thoughtful, but then also kind of competing in the traditional space. 
I'm on the Belgian boys website and they are actually talking about the French toast revolution. So it's, it's just so neat to be part of all these products that are reimagining the way to build businesses, the way to build company cultures, uh, the way to build relationships with their customers. Uh, so it's very cool to be chatting with someone so passionate about evolving this space. Thank you for coming on the podcast today. Uh, super interesting. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, and so if people want to go off limits, uh, where do you recommend they go? So we are at off limits on all social and then eat off limits is our uh, website. Nice. Well, I am going to secure some cereal. I don't know if you're in, are you in Canada yet? We're not in Canada yet. It's like a very, uh, becoming a very popular request. So we got to figure that out really soon. Nice. Well, I'll try to get some contraband across the border and uh, my daughter and I will give you a full review next time we chat. Love it. <laughs> I'll make sure to get her some cereal toys too. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. If you're not a subscriber to our newsletter, you can do that right now at directtoconsumer, all one word, dot co. I'm Eric Dick, and this has been the D2C Podcast. We'll see you next time.